in this moment, like still barely making it, obviously, like just we weren't making any money whatsoever, I would say. I mean, like it was. No, it was scrap, scrapping. Like, and then time. to see like your picture flashed up on a theater screen at this thing and at once being like, wow, that's so cool. And then like feeling despondent. Right. Just like, what are we doing? I remember we went to a McDonald's after that, I didn't we? we? We like sat in this McDonald's uh, and it was like, what are we doing? <laughs> like, we were like pissed, excited. <laughs> It was like, what do we like? What do we even do? Um, and at that point, we were so new to photography that we really didn't have any idea about what we should be charging. What was like a responsible method of recourse? It was just like, what do we do? So we um, did what everyone emotional does. Jared went to, to Twitter. To Twitter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to King of the Ride podcast. I am Ted King. I'm your host this and every week or month or every other month or however often it is that I launch a podcast. Regardless, I'm very excited about this one with summer drawing to a close. Laura and I are freshly back from an Ngamba trip to Sicily, Italy. Ngamba, of course, is a cycling tour company that I am sure you've heard me mention. And it's one that I've been lucky enough to have seen firsthand go from the back of a napkin idea to a standout absolute leader of the pack in the world of cycling tours. Now, that's taken place over the past decade with my friend, former teammate, and Ngamba owner, Joao Correa. So having raced in the world tour, Joao basically takes the professional cyclist lifestyle and tunes it to that of the dream vacation for the everyday cyclist. So from the professional massage, the professional mechanics, the details in the laundry bags, the everyday race cards, so you see the elevation and map, the custom name badges on their bike. It's the pro's pro experience, except that you get to eat and indulge, unlike that of an emaciated cyclist. Please pardon that digression. The point here is that I'm a longtime friend of the brand, and our guests are longtime friends of the brand. Ashley and Jared Gruber are our guests today on this pod a husband and wife team, professional cycling photographers. I raced a little bit with Jared way back in the day, more than a dozen years ago. And I wanted to scout out, I wanted to hear about their progression through the sport and their time in the sport, since they're perhaps the most well-known cycling photographers of our time. I wanted to hear about the lifestyle that goes into it, as they now call home a combination of Athens, Georgia, and the magnificent Italian Dolomites. Additionally, I wanted to dive into their perspective on the philosophy and evolution of their work because they, they capture things differently. They are artists with their cameras. This is a really fascinating conversation to have, the three of us, and even more fun to spend time with them, watching them firsthand in their element. So I've done a few shoots with them over my career. I've done a whole bunch of races where they've captured the peloton in which I'm racing but there's something even more fun about being in the context and, and seeing them in the environment of scenic Sicily, observing them amid their passion and amid their work. It was truly awesome. So without further ado, I encourage you to buckle up, my friends, because this is one of the most entertaining rides that we have to date. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my friends, this dynamic duo, Ashley and Jared Gruber. Okay, so this is a question for both of you to be answered individually. Kind of way too easy. How did each of you get into cycling? Because I know that that opens up cans of worms for either of you. <laughs> Should I go first? Yeah, I guess your answer first. is better. Um, I grew up playing golf in Whoa. the metro Atlanta area and... After I graduated high school, I went to Europe for like you know that traditional summer trip and saw some family there. And for some reason, the Tour de France was on TV the one day, and I saw it and I was like, "Wow, that's cool." Didn't think much about it. A couple of weeks later, started school at the University of Georgia, and then saw some flyer for UGA Cycling. Signed up for their listserv, and then immediately something popped up that someone was selling a bike 
which looking back now is hilariously small for me, but seemed like it was close enough. 450 bucks for a GT Rage 105 components with shoes. Oh, screaming bills. And I bought it and immediately did the group ride that afternoon wearing shorts and a t-shirt. Uh-huh. But my super cool CD shoes and full on like was, was hooked like immediately. Huh. Yeah. So and you're a product of collegiate cycling. 100%. In the best way possible, when your first ride is a group ride, the day you acquire a bike. Yes. Do you think there was any sort of distinct connection from that summer and watching the tour, being aware of it, and you're like, oh, that's cool. Yes. Here's a flyer. Okay. 100%. Like, I, I saw the tour. I thought it looked, for some reason, something about it, like, really sparked something in me. And then when it all lined up that I could ride bikes and then it just happened to be in Athens, which has always had a really good group ride scene. And at that time had an amazing collegiate group ride scene. Mm -hmm. It was kind of done. And I was terrible at it, which really helped because nothing like really lights a fire under me than being horrible at something, which is why I like golf. (laughs) Timestamp. You and I are the same age, so I'm guessing that was about 2001? End of 2001, yeah. Okay. We're, we're 83, <laughs> 1983 individuals. Right on. Okay. Didn't you also go bike riding with your uncle and his friend, your friend? That's true. I did. You were really bad at that. That's true. That is, oh, that is a good point. So during that trip to Europe, we were in Austria, and a friend of mine who ended up going to Williams, mm-hmm. um, we rode with my uncle who had a couple of mountain bikes and we did this ride up some climb to some hut and drank some beers and I remember my friend was like riding away and I was just like yeah whatever I mean we're having more fun and I was terrible and I was trying to immediately justify not being good at it which I spent a lot of my life doing (laughs) so I got started off on the right foot (laughs) nice very nice Ashley how did you get into cycling I was a junior in university at University of New Orleans. And I met Jared earlier in the year and he gave me my first bike, which was a SLC? CSK. CSK, sorry, SLC. That was the Student Learning Center. Yeah, with like K. with basically all of my everything's on it. Mm-hmm. So it was built for someone who's six foot three and she's five foot nine. So it was comically <laughs> <laughs> wrong. And uh-huh. Jared gave me all his kit, which was like also comically wrong. Uh-huh. I was like so droopy, like <laughs> look like a wet towel. <laughs> uh, and then later, I guess like that that was a slow burn. And then Alicia Hamlin gave me my first kit and I felt so cool wearing like stuff that fit and stuff that was this badass racer um and just kind of slowly got into it Jared would Jared has been super patient throughout my whole evolution um like definitely babied me through and then also kind of threw me in the deep end several times so I feel like it's like always this very caring but like no no you can do it even though there are definitely things that I should not have done <laughs> early on. Um, it's good to have that that nurturing voice and guidance. It's I've never had the luxury of experiencing it through a significant other. So I guess a question for both of you, is that easier or harder having it instead of being like a sibling, a friend? Oh, I think it can cut both ways. Oh yeah. I love the idea of the nurturing toss of a cliff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hug, kiss, bye. Good luck. Yeah. Or it's like I, f- I forget who it was that told us. Maybe it was Alan from Scratch described the ride as like the hand of God. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I've gotten a lot of hands of God from Jared pushing me up climbs, just keeping me attached to things, which seems like a blessing, but it's really just licensed to suffer for longer. Yep. Um, it is hateful. I did not think about be. that ever until Alan described that workout, and yeah. then it was like, yeah, it can be it can be really nice and then other times I'm like, no, no, it's good. Yeah. Um I don't know. I think having the experience of riding together is one of my favorite things. Um obviously no one can push your buttons quite as well as a spouse or like a sibling. Mm-hmm. Um 
And so we've had some pretty interesting conversations about like Jared liking half wheeling me or, um, you know, like they're just like these little hot button topics. Um, yeah. I'm an inadvertent innocent half wheeler. I'm sorry to everyone I've ever done it to. It is not with any intention to make the world faster. I just get excited. Yeah. So he doesn't do it in a bad way, but he also doesn't like it if you point it out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so like there have been a few little blow ups, quiet blow ups related to that or like kind of like side eye. Uh-huh. Um, um. In riding with you both this week, you obviously both enjoy riding, but it, Jared's palpable enthusiasm for riding is is very cool. So when you talk about you've never, you know, you don't do it to push the pace and be uncomfortable, you do just love riding a bike, and I freaking love that. <laughs> so okay, do let's do some more chronology. Dig into the story that we've talked about a little bit this week of the two of you meeting. Uh, it was February of two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. Um, I had accomplished my lifelong goal of becoming a sort of kind of professional cyclist with Time Pro Cycling, and I think I was making $500 per month. And Because you did their blog. Yes, because I was also taking care of the website. Was 2008 the first year yes. of your pro career? Yes. Yeah, nice. Basically only. Right. <laughs> um, so I was very excited about this, and this was the year that I was going to do something amazing, which mm-hmm. was absolutely not true. Um, and of course, it being middle-ish of February, it's February 12th, I was experiencing a classic case of the almost start of the season doldrums, just ready to start racing. And so I'd totally blown off doing a real ride that day. And instead, uh, two friends and I were riding around Athens just doing like a city cruise. And we rode up for some dumb reason, this hill that I never ride up ever, even <laughs> to this day. I only ride up this hill now to relive the moment of meeting Ashley on February 12th when we're at home. Nice. It's called Baxter Street. It's not that hard. It's just awful. Anyway, so we're riding up this hill, came to a cro- uh, stoplight. It was red, and this girl walked across the street, and she was listening to some music, and we said hi, and I think Jacob Fetty asked her what she was listening to. It was Manic Depression. Jimi uh, Hendrix. Well, I didn't say that. I said Jimi Hendrix and kept walking. Mm-hmm. And then I think... <laughs> Jared was, well, what he's relayed to me later was like, well, I wanted to turn around and talk to you. And so then he comes back up and he's like, what song? <laughs> uh, to be, okay. Which I, think I, I would like to clarify. Changed. This sounds like such a classic story of like <laughs> the bike racers stalker mobile thing happening, which I totally never did. And that was not my thing. So this is the only time I ever turned around in a bike ride to talk to a girl. And yes, I did turn around and there was that first awkward part. Ashley tried to blow me off because obviously, why wouldn't you? And she then made a critical error and she mentioned that she was about to go study in Austria for the next year. And I said, that's funny. My family's from Austria and that got us chatting. And so then she walked, I rode my bike slowly and we chatted until we got to Broad Street. In that case, my friends came back on because they had magically had a flat tire and asked... Did you get her number yet? (laughs) And then Jared was still like, no, no. (laughs) so can I get your number? Uh I was like, yeah, you can get my number. (laughs) And then he called me and he's like, well, later he then told me, oh, I had to wait such a long time to call you, which was so cute. Uh Um, And like two hours. (laughs) And he was like, so do you want to go get a drink? And I was like, yeah, I, I can't really get a drink. I'm not 21. He's like, oh, um, well, how old are you? And I was like, I'm 19. And then he was like, well, do you want to get coffee? And I was like, I don't really like coffee. <laughs> uh, I do now, though. Um, and I was kind of like sweet because I didn't like coffee at that point either. <laughs> do you want so to we hang out? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we went downtown that night and chatted from like 8 p.m. until 4 a.m. Whoa. It's a great deal of time. It was significant. And yeah, that pretty much altered the course of everything, both of our lives. I was not a bike racer for much longer after that. I moved to Austria in the middle of the summer. <laughs> I so, wasn't much of a student after that either. <laughs> like, yeah, let's, let's continue the chronology. So talk about the migration overseas. Or maybe just start with that summer. You go to Austria, um, fill in the blank. 
So I went to Austria. Ashley started going to school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had nothing, really. I was editing um, a cycling website, Pez Cycling News, at that time. And that was kind of how I was supporting myself along with my awesome wages. With your degree in uh, poli-sci in German? Yes. Nice. <laughs> so you can read and write. Um, and uh, so while we were there, I, for some reason, just started getting really interested in taking pictures. Um, probably because it was really beautiful and it was just fun to take pictures of all the awesome things around there. And somewhere along the way, we started doing some little tiny articles for Pez. Like I remember we previewed the 2009 long TT of the Giro that was over by Cinque Terre. I did that. that That's was like 60K TT. That was for Peloton. No, what? it was first for, Pel- for Pez. Okay. That was for Road then eventually. That oh, was our Road, first yeah, one. yeah. That's right. And then we also did a preview on Vesuvius, which I guess you also did that Yeah, year. yeah, yeah. Um, so we just took pictures, posted them to that site, and then also posted some stuff to Facebook. And at some point theirs I wish I remembered who did this they said oh you guys you're really good at this um, you should do this for magazines and we're like no nah, we could never do that that's crazy yeah. and then he put us in contact with still our editor at Peloton magazine um, Tim Shamber and that yeah that just and then just started going forward was slow. Yeah, very slow, slow, but it definitely started things. Ashley was a junior at that time? What year did you say you were in school? You were a junior then. I was a junior, yeah. And then the next year you finished the... You did one semester at UGA and then the next semester at New Orleans. Yep. Uh Yeah. And then when she finished school, we got married. Uh And then immediately started off on our adventure with a 1,500-year-old red Volkswagen Polo wagon. Uh Uh-huh. And... Which and that's that's what I want to get into because I see a lot of not that there needs to be this similarity, but having lived it, I see a lot of similarities between like the the vagabond pro cyclist who's going to races, and our conversations this week have, have been sort of edifying in the, in a similar way. How, what like how on earth do you even begin the process of doing what you're doing <laughs> outside of the stuff that you've just laid the groundwork for? And I do think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we kind of came in through the back door. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't come in as, as photographers. <laughs> Sorry, um, couldn't help that. He just left. I came in what? originally more as a writer, uh-huh. and so so like when Peloton first started, um, we started visiting these Italian brands. So we, we visited Castelli. We visited oh I don't remember what, but the Castelli one was CD. the important one. Oh yeah, CD. Jordana, some other stuff. Really. And so writing stories yeah. about these brands. And then taking and pictures taking while photos. we were there. Okay. And then the brands, in this case Castelli, liked the pictures that we took and we really hit it off with the guy that we met that day who's still like our one of our, one of our really main go to humans yeah. and mm-hmm. love him to death, Soren Jensen. Yep. Um, that then opened the door for him to ask us if we would shoot the the winter catalog that year in December of 2010 and that was with Andreas Clear, yep. Lizzie Armistead yep. and Martin Muscon. Huh? And that like... So it's yeah. just eyes wide open as it's happening? 100%. It was insane. Like, Jared freaked out. Oh yeah, I freaked out. Freaked like, out. Did a classic amateur photographer move and like you find out you have a big project so now you need to go buy all kinds of new photography equipment. <laughs> but yeah, I mean just I totally felt I mean just like everywhere in our life like you just feel like you're completely underqualified for everything that's happening around you especially when you have no training whatsoever in this and every single day is like your own little school of it. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it's like, "Okay, well I guess we're doing this," you know, and that's yeah, terrifying. Where? What are the logistics of this time? Where are you guys living? Um, In 2010, when we did that first stint, oh, we were just truly bouncing around in that little car. Um, we spent. I think we spent two weeks. So our friend Franz helped us register the car in Austria, huh? and we spent like two or three weeks. Jared slept on a lawn chair. She actually slept on the couch, and I was in a lawn chair next to the couch. And it was like our friend's studio, like one room studio <laughs> apartment. And it was really cold sleeping on the lawn chair because the air comes up from underneath it yeah. through the fibers. Didn't realize that. I had no idea sleeping on a lawn chair is really cold. Oh, this is amazing. And then we um, would get like some hotels every once in a while for the articles that we were mm-hmm. doing. And then we ended up hiding out in 
southwestern England near Bristol with a, a close friend. My German friend. professor. Yeah, she had a room, and then we hung out with her, and then all of a sudden the Castelli project came up, uh-huh. and it was just like basically just trying to find places to stay. And the next year we came back, and Castelli had an apartment that no one was in, and we basically lived in that for a significant amount of time. And when we couldn't live there, we lived with another friend um, just on the just a little bit south of there, and we shared a room with him. And yeah, it was just thanks for that, Jason Cardillo. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, I just a comedy of these, these moments of just like, how did I end up here? But even in the moment, just felt like it was what you were doing. You're like, yeah, whatever, this is yeah. my life, you know. And people kept like n- not saying no to us. They were like, yeah, you can stay, no problem. <laughs> or like we'd meet people and they'd be like, come visit, and we're like, okay. <laughs> like well, <laughs> they probably never meant for us to come visit, but we did. Um, found ourselves in some pretty great situations just kind of bouncing around like <laughs> just chasing a vibe really and so the projects you're doing at this point are are specific they're they're for Castelli they're for Peloton are you yet shooting bike races not really um uh, so 2010 I had shot Flanders sort of um mm-hmm. as part of a press junket with Specialized and like we saw the race twice that day, and huh. um, yeah, that was more or less it. And then we did shoot Tour of California that year with Tim at that time with Road Magazine, and but only like the finish lines. Yep, and that was its own funny thing. Uh, I think that was it for 2010. And then 2011, we shot a couple of classics. I remember one year we shot Roubaix, and we only saw it four times, and we were <laughs> together. Or two times? Two times. We wow. shot Rubé. We shot it twice. <laughs> like, shot it wow. twice, two photographers, boom. How about how you talked about, you know, years prior when you initially go to Austria, you have a lot of free time in your ta- hands, Jared, and so you explore photography. At Are you guys both getting into ph- photography around the same time and rate? Or how, how is that unfolding? I think you started taking pictures at the Castelli photo shoot. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, yeah, it was like... Learn on the fly. It was on the coffee oh, bag. It was a total, I remember exactly total, what like, it was. Fake it till you make it. And, and Jared was like, it would really be helpful if you could, could do some of this. And I was like, okay, uh, I, I guess I'll try. Uh-huh. Um, I was and then we had an extra camera because Jared had panic bought the other camera. Brilliant. <laughs> and so he had one and I had one. Uh-huh. Um, which now is hilarious because like, he would never, you know... I can't imagine shooting a second camera. Second camera, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's I need it's two hard. cameras always. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, and and it was basically just like necessity. Like you need to, you need to do this. It's <laughs> like okay. <laughs> Incredible. Okay, okay. So sorry, I interrupted there. Talk about the unfolding of race photography. Um, I guess the race photography story really starts in 2012. Because that was when we shot the Giro for the first time. Mm-hmm. And that came about because of a Castelli shoot from the l- previous spring, the previous May slash June with Peter Stetna. And that was right after his first Giro. And we took a, what today even still looks like kind of a cool shot to me, which doesn't actually, isn't actually true for a lot of the pictures back then. Uh, it was this panorama from the top of the Jow. And it was this really cool black and, it and white. had the Viva, Viva, Viva Il Giro, and then the Walter. Walters 108, which was that moment and... Was that year? That year and was just like, just felt like a photo. And then we went to the, was it the Giro presentation? So somehow, somewhere along the way, this picture went from Castelli to becoming like the official image of the Giro for the next year. Okay. Like they had they were giving away posters of it. Like yeah. Contador left that year's Giro presentation with a poster tube with our picture in it. And I'm it was sure like, he threw it away. Yeah, yeah, I know. But still like <laughs> in this moment, like still barely making it, obviously. Like just we weren't making any money whatsoever, I would say. I mean like it was No, it was scrap scrapping. Like And then time. to see like your picture flashed up on a theater screen at this thing and at once being like, wow, that's so cool, and then like feeling despondent. Right. Just like, what are we doing? I remember we went to a McDonald's after that, I didn't we? we? We like sat in this McDonald's, uh, and it was God. like, what are we doing? <laughs> like, we were like pissed, excited. <laughs> it was like, what do we, like, what do we even do? Um, and at that point, we were so new to photography 
that we really didn't have any idea about what we should be charging, what was like a responsible method of recourse. It was just like, what do we do? So we um, did what everyone emotional does. Jared went to, to Twitter. To Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was like, Hey, look at this picture. Jiro stole it. Yeah. And everybody got mad. It and was then, awesome. And it helped me. And then the best thing ever. Yeah. And then the Jiro was like, guys, we're so sorry. Like we didn't realize this was the case. It was Michele Corone. Oh, I um, that guy. That was like, what's his role? He was at that point the director, the director of the Giro. And he's like, yo, sorry. Yeah. yeah. And he was um, like, reached out to us and like asked us to shoot for the Giro and did all this stuff. It was over amazing. the course of the next couple hours and days from McDonald's oh, or did so it like, come like, back the next year? It was like it a happened, week like, or so. You know, like over time. People like, started, people were like amazing, got pissed on our behalf and said things that we would have never been able to say. Yeah. Um, so, yay. Thank you, supportive humans. But then, funny after that, we, um, so I don't think the, the, the job offer came until the next spring, because I remember it was still up for debate when we did our first Ngamba trip, uh-huh. which mm, right. um, Roger Hammond was on, and I remember we were discussing this conundrum with him, whether we should shoot the Giro or not, because we were like, I don't know if we want to do that. What should we do? Do we want to go the direction of bike racing guitar? And then Roger was like, told us this year, he was like, I just remember listening to you guys thinking like, well, you're you're idiots if you don't. (laughs) (laughs) And so we eventually said yes, and then we jumped in and immediately got all of our stuff stolen. Oh, (laughs) yes. I think... It was at the it team time trial in Verona. Mm-hmm. It was our first like stage. stage four because it had started in like Denmark or something. So we're, right? we're we now twenty thirteen ish. Twenty twelve. Okay. Oh wow. Twenty twelve. Yeah, and um, yeah, yeah, first day at the Giro. Uh, our little our computer little red car, my bag, my suitcase. So um, like plus our computer and hard drives. Yeah, which meant that we lost all the photos that from, we had done the week before from the first Ngamba trip that we did. Yeah, yeah got it, got it. Yeah, that uh, was sad. Um, but yeah, gone. Um, and so immediately, Michele Acquarone swoops in again like Superman, and like they basically says, us, yeah. "What do you need to get back and going again?" And then like they they got us going. It was insane. Like just helped us paid for what we needed to go again because I, I don't know if we would have kept going if were you shooting for the Giro, the Giro yeah proper? they were like what do you need yep. and so I think they got Jared you had a laptop right they got you a laptop I think yeah they, they because my laptop, laptop was stolen yep. and and then I was doing like all my work on the phone like all of our email <laughs> communications which was hilarious um, and then I didn't have any clothes and they actually sent me with a guy the next morning so Jared could shoot the, the stage bef- like before the stage started or something they sent me with a guy and took me shopping <laughs> like bought me some clothes so that I ha- like I had nothing yeah uh, which you know it was like if it had happened now okay it's always going to be a bummer when your stuff gets stolen but like we would have been in a lot better position, like knowing what to do in terms of like how to take care of yourselves. Whereas at that point, it was like, I feel like we kind of forget now how far we've come in terms of like being a foreigner and feeling feeling like you don't know how to do anything here. Like I feel yeah. like we we still don't know how to do most things, but like at that, you know, at that that, moment, we that was a very boards. very overwhelming moment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they took care of us. So that was, yeah, 2012. Brilliant. May. And then really from there, that, that like kind of opened it up and started making, because then the Castelli thing led to us working some more with Garmin. And then we started shooting the classics more seriously. Um, then we linked up with I Am. Mm-hmm. And then their media guy, Tebow tricked us into shooting the Tour de France for the first time in 2014 mm-hmm. and then that like that was just and they took like I am was amazing <laughs> mm-hmm. I remember our first tour he was like yeah so we have these VIP spots and I think the people like didn't show up for whatever reason and he was like so if you want to shoot from the helicopter on the UK <laughs> stages like we have a helicopter you can shoot from we were like what yeah um, <laughs> I, mean, just- I, I think it happened at least one other time during that tour that's Maybe incredible. twice. 
um, that we got to shoot the stage from the helicopter, and it was just like, still haven't done that since. Yeah, <laughs> never even yeah, close yeah. to the option. Yeah, you know? and like, and this is all happening to two basically cat fives. Yeah, it just yeah. dropped it. Yeah, like, yeah, like cool. we we definitely got way more opportunities than we deserved. <laughs> um, but he he was just like. He's always been such an amazing champion, and also he has this wonderful accent. He's like, oh, you guys, you are artists, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're just like, oh, my God. <laughs> well, obviously, if you're taking bad pictures, even with these opportunities, like you would be found out and kicked out, but you've only laid down an amazing foundation for where you guys are now. So... Where does that come from? Is it entirely self-taught? Is it looking at the what was status quo up to that point and saying we're going to do things a little bit differently, a little bit more creative? Is it purely by having a, an outside perspective coming in? Where do you suppose your, like they said, you guys are artists, where do you suppose you get that artistic touch that's not a traditional cycling photograph, so to speak? It was just like little, little, little at a time, I'd say, like... I can remember for years looking back and, and thinking like at some of the important races and it was just like moving the dial a little bit early on. I remember Jared had this shot of Conchalara in a like inside of a switchback, which no, no, inside turn the left hand turn at the end of the Hakok. Which is not really a spot you'd shoot now. No, actually on the outside, no. Um, so <laughs> just kind of like a lucky shot in a sense. And it was like there were a few of those, enough of those, like each race. And I can remember um, there was like a rainbow hands, you know what I'm talking about, at Roubaix. And it was like a blog post. Oh, oh um, it was um, Brendan Cork's blog. Yes, was competitive yes, yes. He called us out as like some exciting new photographers or something. And nice. it was just like sunny dust shot. Yeah. That Ashley had taken from standing on top of our car. Huh. And it just had said that, that we were some photographers to watch. And he was excited about us. And like that, just like just all these little It was like little guys are like, I can remember every time like NY Velocity would retweet our photos. You know, and he had like... Yep. I don't remember how many followers, but whatever sure, it was, sure, it was sure. like, oh my god. Yeah. But in, but in terms of like how we looked at things and how we got started, I think especially for me when I started, I was really obsessed with just pretty landscapes mm-hmm. and just pretty scenes. And I think that's always continued. But like, if I look back now, it was comical how small bike riders were in my pictures. I mean, there were yeah. not even ants huh. in them sometimes. I mean, it was like a smudge of a peloton sometimes. Uh-huh. I was so far away. But for me at that point, like, I just loved it. And then I would either take that or some like super up close kind of action shot. I was very removed and I got even more removed the t- more tired I got. I remember I just took this crazy picture on the Stelvio on like stage 20 of the Giro that year. And it took me like 45 minutes to hike to this spot and you couldn't see anything of the race. Like, I mean, nothing. It was just the road, and I could have taken that shot at any time. Like, it did not matter that the bike race was going. And Jared, I remember, but we were still so excited. There was so much enthusiasm for it. But like, it was From different. the two of us. And I think because, I don't know if nobody had been doing it, but it, it just felt like it was the right moment. Uh-huh. Uh, and people people were excited to see these different perspectives. Yeah, just... Does, uh, just, does, does a move like that, like you said, you're going to go hike for 45 minutes to get this shot... Does that prevent you from doing things elsewhere? Like, are you not going to be able to follow the race for the next three hours? Oh, that was oh, the that one was, and only. That was that was shot. my only shot. Yeah. So, like, okay, I think so. Maybe, it's risky. Oh, it's 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 just. Yeah. But I was confident in my risk. Yeah. Like looking at it now, I, I still I wouldn't do that picture if you gave me five hundred years and said, Jared, go take this picture today. Yeah. I'd be like, no, no, not happening. <laughs> I mean, but I was just so into it. I was like, yeah, this is a picture I'm taking. This is going to be it. Yeah. This and is I so remember different. This is, and I was like, Jared got back and he showed me and I was like, that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's great, honey. Like, uh-huh. nobody else has a picture like that from today. <laughs> I mean, just like But out like there. every step of the way, I'm like, that's good, yep. you know? <laughs> How about... So what is the reception among, call it the peloton of photographers, like the, the people who are your peers? What has that been, like what's that arc been from oh, the very beginning? Oh, that's changed through? a lot. Well, at the beginning it was basically we didn't talk to anybody because we were, we were like elbows yeah. out, like mean mugging everybody. Yeah. Who, who the hell are you? Trying to act like you're being all tough, but really you're just terrified of everyone and yeah. just afraid that you don't belong. And are so, they all nationalities? 
Yeah, yeah was, there was one other couple, Jim and Erie, um, mm. when we started. Um, that's not so that they're not shooting bike racing anymore. Um, but b- beyond those two, who were the only other Americans at that point, I think. Yeah. Uh, and then, like at that point, Graham Watson was still shooting, and I remember, um, like. Jared told me about Graham when when we first started, and I was just like, I want to be his friend. <laughs> and I don't know. I, I think like having that slowly, I was just like, okay, like it was just kind of a challenge, a challenge in a way to be like, okay, I I want to be friends with you, and yep. then like try and befriend someone, uh, and then kind of the same thing happened with Tim Dewalla because he was scary and like my impression of him was not I would say like not really a positive one because he just seemed terrifying and he didn't really talk to anyone and was just like oh god you know um and well, so especially at these races I mean I'm picturing uh, from the bike racers perspective I'm, I'm picturing photographers who are loaded up in moto gear they're very well protected they look jacked and yeah they like they are regimented they have a job boom 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 so I, I know Tim I can picture being intimidated by him. Yeah, he's, he's intimidating. He's a bulldog. Like, yeah. uh-huh. um, and, and he just like, I mean, I'm still so impressed by Tim. Like, oh, yeah. how he does what he does, I will never know. Because, like, we just couldn't. We will die. We, we were approximately a, third a fifth. or a fifth. Yeah, like, man, race, he, race works, days he, does. he works so many race days. It's just nuts. But just in general, like, the, the wire photographers, like, how much work they do is amazing. I mean, we, we It's a different kind of work though and, and that's kind of where we realized there was a niche to exploit was that those guys had deliverables due yesterday and people need their stuff for the wire as soon as the race is finished and a lot of times that's kind of it for those guys and so they like you see them pack up and leave at a press room and it's like we're still downloading. You know, oh it's word. like at that point, yeah, like the, you, they would be finishing or like sending their stuff off to someone who would then crop it and edit it and blah, 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 and keyword. Um, and we would be there until like 9 and 10 because we were not really playing the same game. Uh, and then we kind of realized, okay, well, people are interested in these photos for different reasons and there is actually a market there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then it became like, <laughs> almost um, permission to be more stubborn about being slow and taking our time and that we are doing something different. But also like, you look at it and you say, well, there are plenty enough of these perfectly great action shots that you get from a moto of this perspective. The world has those. You Some know? flowers of the tour. Those are done, you know? And so, so don't even think about that. So it's like a lot of times we're just trying to do something different from that because I just don't feel like we need another one of those. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's to our detriment when we really should just take that picture because it's the best picture. But I think a lot of times it 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 spurs us on to do something that is more interesting, a little just whimsical maybe, or it's I like, don't know, it's like sometimes improv. awesome. improv. You know, it's like whenever you do something, it's like this and, you know, mm-hmm. and it's sort of mm-hmm. like okay, we're going to take this and, and then you just kind of keep going with that. And yeah, I mean, it doesn't always work, but. Or, I, or like we were talking um, yesterday with Ted at the top of one of like the first climb and there was this really pretty turn to come onto the road and it was this nice backdrop of the buildings and then there was a panda right there. And I was like, clearly the obvious really nice shot is a rider with the buildings. But then I took one of Tony like through the panda which isn't necessarily the best shot of the day, but it was still like, it's a different shot, you know? And just, if you take enough of the different ones, at some point you're going to hit jackpot and it's going to be a really cool shot. And then you'll be like, oh, this looks awesome. And that was so cool for me to experience because we had talked a little bit about, you know, framing of photography and how do you how do you get a good photo? And you and I were riding next to each other when we rounded that corner and I looked at what ended up being the photograph. Didn't think much of it. Then you explain the shot, the layout, the whole nine yards through the panda, so on and so forth. And the end result is absolutely spectacular. And it was, it was just, it was very cool to experience firsthand. Um, yeah, good, good, good work. <laughs> How about 
expand a bit more on what you were just talking about, like the business now. So, so not producing photos for the wire. What what is the what is the business side of what you guys are doing now? Like, are you contracted with sponsors for teams, for races, for any of the above? And then stemming off that, when you go to a race, what are your goals? It sort of is what you were just saying, like this and, and, and is my imagination. So we have commercial clients, we have editorial clients, um, and then we get to be ambassadors of certain brands like Castelli and Sorello. Um, we also work for certain races. We work for certain races and then we work for certain teams and we've worked the longest for the current name is Education First. Uh-huh. Um, and then basically our goals at a, at a race or at a shoot are kind of... I think we like to have goals defined before we go. So like an ideal project would be shoot a certain athlete or shoot a certain climb, but that really doesn't happen very often. And I would say in a large part, our goal is to communicate what it feels like to be at a certain place. And I feel like we just take the kind of pictures that we find the most interesting and have kind of stopped thinking about, for the most part, I would say there's like a 15 to 25% like, okay, let me make sure I'm accomplishing what the client needs. But I would say in doing what makes us happy, it generally also ticks the box of what they need uh, and does it in a way that's like, this is why they're paying us. But in general, I think the goal is to take the best picture we can with what's presented to us. Like if it's a certain tour de front stage and it's kind of a dull transfer stage, you know, you just, what can we make from nothing? You know, is there, what's out there, you know? And, and yeah, we just, every day it's this kind of, it can be a really negatively stressful thing, but it can also be really positively stressful in that it drives you to think creatively and to, constantly have your eyes open and think what can we make with what's out here you know like there's something out there I, I'm, I'm convinced that no matter where you go there's some kind of picture that's interesting or worth mm-hmm. looking at and it's just it's more our limits and what we see that's what's holding us back and being able to make split second decisions based off of what you think it looks like from this weird angle that you can barely see from the car and you're like that could be it, you know, or this random garage that's open with a family sitting in there having a picnic. What if I can awkwardly move behind them and shoot them and get the race, you know, or I mean, just a lot of times we'll say, what are our assets? (laughs) Like, um, like the princess bride. I don't know how well you remember that movie. Great flick. I actually just watched it, uh, from, I watched it on mute because I was sitting behind somebody <laughs> and I crossed the aisle on an airplane and I watched this person watch it and I was like, oh my God, it's such a good movie. Well, then he has like, um, when they're trying to storm the castle, yeah. he, he's like, oh, if only we had a Holocaust cloak or something. And he's like, oh, you mean like this? Yeah. And why didn't you list that among our assets? So a lot of times we'll show up in a place and, and we'll say to each other, like, what are our assets here? Yep, yep. And a lot of times, it, like what Jared was sort of outlining But sometimes it can just be, like, textures or um, really neat, like, in my world, a really neat plant or, like, Uh how can we show the nature of a certain place or is there a really good fan or is there a flag or can you get up high? Can you get down low? Yeah. Anything. Like, just basically thinking of it as a, a sphere around where you are. Like, what angle can you possibly find that maybe makes this kind of dull spot interesting? Collect information and then assess based on like what you reacted to the most slash what past experiences taught you will be the best and then, option. And then there's that time in the in a Tour de France or something where you're shooting from a car and you realize you have like 45 minutes to make these decisions sometimes. And then it gets hilarious when you're on a moto and you have approximately 45 seconds to yep. make this decision. And it's just like sprinting at the first thought that you might have had and then hoping like, well, maybe this will work. And then realizing that all those times that you kind of laughed at the moto photogs and they made like a silly decision, you're like, that's me now. (laughs) You know, because you're just going off of an impulse. It's just like, you can't walk it out. You can't think it over. You can't like make this assessment and like grade each spot that you have an idea about. It's just like, 
that one. Go. <laughs> so a lot of times we feel like we make better photos if we're in a car versus one of us on the moto, unless I go ahead and give Jared information about what to shoot. Um, oh, very cool. Which is really helpful. You're it's saying crazy. you're going ahead, Jared's on a moto. Mm-hmm. So. so I'll drive the course and give him notes and yeah. say like, like oh, wow. uh, church with an open door at kilometer 45.7. Uh, and then, and then I'll put like a star by it, like this is the one you need to shoot. And then I'll usually give myself like an hour, an hour and a half, and then kind of try and string together what I think based on how it can all fit together. He should be shooting. Yep. Um, and then we have these hilarious conflicts off of what's actually happening in the race, how I get stuck behind the race, then trying to get around the race, either passing which normally never works and then mm-hmm. just leaving the race course and then going rallying down some random roads mm-hmm. and then also me having my own impulses and thinking no this is the spot and then realizing that Ashley was 100% correct and that yeah. I should have shot two and a half kilometers farther down the road and I'm a big dumb animal who did or, not know better or, or just like or sometimes how, I am right how to communicate like, um, what I'm seeing in a way that's gonna make him understand where to go or what it was or yeah. you know it's like oh gosh yeah learning a new language between the two of us of, of the best way to communicate um, which is something that's specific only to Grand Tours really because we're not like Jared's on a moto for the. It was like three stages this year. Yeah, but still, it's like it's not very much. Like you're trying to make the most out of it because it mm-hmm. is your buffet chance, you know. Yeah. But like one of the times in the first one I got this year at the tour, Ashley had said, "Oh, check out this town at kilometer 40." I'm like, "Okay, yeah, yeah." And I dropped in and I was like, "Oh, I guess this is what she meant. This isn't that great, but I have like eight seconds. Okay, I'm gonna shoot right here." But turns out it was one turn away. It was fantastic, oh, you know. Man. But yeah didn't get there but it was was then it was on me to to say like to learn and say like okay well how can i better explain that so and be more specific um and also yeah i mean just learn to be more confident directing him and know that like i am his eyes and i have to also be his decision making process yeah um which is a little bit stressful at times which this is all still funny and amusing because at the end on so many of these stages that you're freaking out about, no matter what, you realize that the most interesting pictures of the day are often, no matter how much we want, might want to fight it, or something related to the finish. You know, yeah. I mean, a sprint stage, you only really remember the sprint unless yep. you find something insane, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. And that's, it's also getting this kind of macro view when we're doing all this that this one spot isn't going to make or break your life or sometimes it really feels like it. Like I lose my mind. Like I'm so worried. Like we're not going to get something good. What's going to happen. And then you realize, Oh, but we got a cool shot of Cav winning today. So mm-hmm. that works. Good you insurance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. And it's just getting a little perspective. I think over time, like I'm definitely a ball of nerves and insecurities and yeah, I just, I but struggle a lot with that's that. That's something where I feel like, We've made a conscious effort to reach out more to other photographers in the last couple seasons. And I feel like that's really helped us a lot, um, just feeling like we're part of a positive community instead of this like previous elbows out thing. So like in the mornings, a lot of times we'll plan in our schedule. like. The teams, a lot of times, will send out a schedule and they're like, okay, you know, rider suitcase have to be downstairs at this time, blah, blah, blah. So we sort of adopted that and I'll write out a schedule and I'm like, okay, this is what time we're leaving the hotel. This is how far it is to the race start. And then I'll also schedule in like time to complain, Um, (laughs) especially with like Chris Ald. He's he's one of our favorite, um, Uh just like allies on the road. And I feel like a lot of times you, you are putting in so much effort in these long days where it, it really doesn't count, but it feels like it counts. So if you can get a little perspective from other people who are also experiencing the same thing, then that makes it feel like you're not, I don't know, it just, it, it makes it a lot more relatable. It's not just us that are going through this, but most people don't understand. So you need to kind of have your little group therapy session when you can. That adds humanity to it. I mean, so much of bike racing and the whole lifestyle in general that we're both talking about here is robotic. Mm-hmm. And so it's nice to feel that empathy, feel that humanity. 
because often it is thrown out the window. Um, as specific or general as you want to answer, what does it, realizing that we have to go to dinner at some point, not too distant future, what does a calendar look like? Uh, <laughs> um, it's a point of some contention. Uh, <laughs> but in general... It's rectangular. It has numbers on it. Uh, <laughs> um, in general, I would say we, we aim to shoot the classics. Um, we usually start with Het Nusblad. Um, and then we don't shoot Corona the next day just because that's like usually when we first get over here. So it's just like we throw down for the omelope and then done. And then we go to Italy. We shoot Strada Bianca. And then if it's like this last year, the next race is when we, we start the classics in Belgium because we realize we really dislike shooting San Remo. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we just feel like we have nothing else to say about the race. And it's just a really stressful long day. And it's like, I don't. We, we ended just up taking the same photos kind of year after year, and it was like, yeah, it just, it, I mean, we've, I feel like we have poured over that race. We've ridden the course, driven it backwards. Driven it backwards, like done every part of like it. We've put like, in our time to really look and see. And it's not to say that there isn't another great photo out there and, and that we won't revisit it, but for the moment we're just kind of like yeah we we need a break from this race um which uh, could make it really fun the next time yeah. because there, there are some things about that race that are really fun and i do like i love the vibe of the start there mm-hmm. yeah it's like a good back to school feeling kind of like het news Blood, same thing whereas like because you know people are on their different calendars so you'll see people in, in belgium and then you'll see the next like group of people that you probably didn't see in italy and you know it's like Everybody's wearing their new kit, and like mechanics moved, Swanier's moved. You kind of get this like chit chat. Oh hey, like La Primavera. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's really yeah. nice. I mean, that part I really love, and I love the architecture in Milan. And sure. I feel like for those two reasons, it's like okay. But I don't know. I feel like trying to take the same photo on the Poggio, or trying to find a new photo on the the Poggio, and just like. I mean, I've had some really beautiful moments with that race personally, but I feel like I'm just never really in love with it. Um, so then we go to Belgium. We shoot all the way through... All the classics then. Liege. Well, most. Yeah, most of the classics. Through and Liege. Then Giro. And then half the Giro. Yeah, we shoot... Um, we kind of cherry pick and pick the stages we think are going to be the most interesting. So half over the course of the full. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Somewhere between like yeah. 10 and 12 stages it ends up being. And then... Kind of just feeling out like, yep. what's happening. That'd be a dope rider schedule too. You're like, yeah. I'm going to race mm, the odds this year. Yeah. Well, or just... <laughs> I like, was thinking about that. Like if you could sub out riders for like different things. Oh my word. <laughs> Let's make this cutthroat sport harder. Yeah. <laughs> the strategy on it would be uh, kind of entertaining. Yes. Um, and um, then the tour. Uh-huh. And then... Normally, the tour would be our last race this year, but because Roubaix was rescheduled, then we'll shoot Roubaix next week. Yeah. Or we'll head up next week um, for, for the pre-Roubaix stuff. Um, and that's kind of it. And then we'll fill in when we're not shooting races. And I guess Jared alluded to the point of contention, which my like overall viewpoint is that if we're always so tired from races that we don't leave time to do other kinds of things, then we're always going to get pigeonholed into doing the same things, which I feel like long-term, I would really like to shoot some other things outside of cycling. If, you know, and I, I'm kind of open to what it's going to be. I feel like Jared is too. Hopefully I'm not putting words in No, mind. it's just more of a question of, for me, it's, I, I, I don't want to work. I don't want to do that much. I've seen, there's so many photographers that, that works so much and it scares me. It scares me for both my quality of life, being able to enjoy my life, being able to ride a bike, which is why I did this to begin with, mm-hmm. which is what I love. Which is why I asked that as the first question. How'd you get into cycling? Because it is so intertwined. It's so your life. intertwined. And like the worst I feel as a human being is the farther I get from a bike. And so generally the worst I feel the entire year is after the tour, like that last day. And I'm just like, all I want to do is just I don't have to ride my bike 30 hours a week anymore, but just to ride my bike just makes me feel so much better as a human, you know? And to take that away, it's just, I, f- 
I really struggle with that. And so I don't love stage races and the, I have kind of a issues with that, you know? And, and so overall, when we look at the race schedule, it's like, there's always so much pressure to shoot more and more and more and more and more. But it's like, we have to like set kind of these boundaries so that we can hopefully still have a life that we enjoy being a part of and one that we can share and have fun with each other in. And then time to do the other kind of projects, which you you know, you can't really, I mean, that's the thing about, that's the really beautiful thing about our job and what I love the most about commercial photo shoots is that you end up in this situation with a group of people, you have people for your models, you have, you know, maybe somebody from the company and you're all, you go to this location. So it's like already sort of like this camp vibe <laughs> and that combination won't happen again, you know, most likely, you know, and it's like, I feel like if we allow ourselves space for those kind of things, then I don't know. It's something that I feed off of and feel like that's what something that we get to do that's really special and kind of creating creating these moments with these people. And yeah, it's it's stressful about and people are sleep deprived and you know, like we're gonna ask models to do the same thing again and again and again and people will probably get tired, hungry and annoyed. But it's this moment and that's it. Whereas I feel like, and I mean, I guess you could say that about anything, but with a race, you know, it's like, well, you didn't take that shot this year. You can take it again next year. Uh, well, <laughs> preach. That you was a, a random offhand comment that Tim DeWalla gave me this year on a stage that started in Andorra. And he was like, well, if you miss it this year, they'll be back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just, it was such a kind of a slap in the face moment where you're like, oh my God, you know, like we are coming back to this. This is not the last time we will be here. And it definitely gives you a, a, a greater perspective of, of how you are more or less doing the same thing mm -hmm. regularly. And it's good, bad, you know? And so I guess we're still trying to find our way and just basically put ourselves in as many places as we can to get better and enjoy it at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, as far as punching a clock goes, that's a pretty good one. Yeah. But I completely hear what you're saying. Uh, so to that end, how how do each of you rest and recharge and finish the tour? What do you? What's the first thing you want to do? Oh, this year was so easy. Well, we we had. Do we have a project straight away? Well, we oh, had we to go pick off. up our car because our car died during like stage nine. <laughs> so that was like. An extra 12 hours of driving. Oh, and then, like, another nine hours of driving. I think later that night, we, like, drove and then picked up the car, and then we were like, well, I guess we'll keep driving. Uh, and so we found a place, in, uh, like, an amazing place on Booking.com in Bonnier, Luchon, which we didn't love the town. Bangers of Luchon? That's, That's it. That's what it looks like. <laughs> yeah, so we Bangers. didn't love, we really actually did not vibe with Bonnier de Luchon. Yep. Um, but the place that we found was just amazing. Um, it was on a, we had like a little kitchenette and it had a balcony and this like really loud river outside and the temperature was cool at night because uh -huh. mountains. Um, and the guy made us this breakfast with like scrambled eggs and goat cheese and I think like he must have just I mean there was no way we could have communicated how destroyed we were um, but like the first day I'm pretty sure we were in bed like 20 hours I think the first at least four several days 21 hours a day was my estimation we were so we would and just like, watch movies get up go eat <laughs> like shuffle downstairs uh -huh. um, eat barely talk uh, and then go back upstairs, watch some movie, like just be horizontal. And then we would go out for an hour or 90 minutes of bike ride run and then come back, like decide. Resume. Yeah. Like basically <laughs> the first couple of days it was like, oh my God, like what are we going to do for food? Like that was so overwhelming. I ordered a pizza, and, <laughs> you know, just like yeah, yeah. basically as little exertion as possible. Perfect. That's the answer. That, okay, <laughs> that that's was a good. That's a good. Well, what were you we going to say? That was the best um, immediate post tour thing we've ever done. I think. I think from now on, I would like to give myself four days to do nothing. absolutely nothing but get outside for like ninety minutes, drive my bike, and just totally Check out. decouple from everything. Yeah. yeah. Um, but normally, 
like once things are more normal, uh, for me, it is definitely riding a bike of some variety. I would say it doesn't have to be riding a bike for me. It's just I need to be active if it's like riding a bike or running or hiking or gardening or yoga. Like or gardening. Or gardening. Or gardening. <laughs> uh, depend, if we're at home in Georgia then it, and we come home, then I'll spend like five or six hours in the garden most, like most days. Is that fair? Not most, but a lot. When, yeah. Pretty solid amount of time um, in the garden. Just, <laughs> yeah, just relaxing. Um, and playing with her dog. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of like if we're home, then she gets a walk of at least 30 minutes a day in the woods, <laughs> no leash. Brilliant. Love it. Well, rather than diving into two hours of more questioning, of which we could easily do, we can use the crescendo of what do you do to relax to <laughs> wrap up this conversation. Uh, that's all I got. I appreciate your time. Yeah. This has been a really fun hour and a very fun whole week. Likewise. Definitely. So let's go eat seven courses and <laughs> call it dinner time. No kidding. <laughs> all right, Rad. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay.